0: value proposition for driving all large scale operations. So you can frame all of it in terms of prediction. That's why we call it predictive AI to differentiate from generative AI. That's why it's also been called predictive analytics. That's why it's called a predictive model. So it produces these predictions and they and that they, they drive uh, organizational decisions. Welcome to Unmiss, your go-to digital marketing hub. I'm Anatoly Litovsky, here with expert tips and exclusive chats to boost your online game. Let's get started.
1: Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome to our
0: show.
1: Hello, all are,
0: all are welcome
1: yeah hello welcome <laughs> anyone who want to learn more about ai because it's tough to ignore this topic today that was simple yesterday impossible tomorrow i think it's a must have you need to think how to adapt ai technology and if you ignore this tool this tool will ignore you and according to data five percent of content marketers creators uh, lost their jobs when ChatGPT gpt appealed it's a lot five percent it's not because of this tool it's because someone can Adapt and use this tool to replace people who ignore this tool. So I think it's very important to think how to navigate AI, how to get great results. Personally, I I got a lot of results with ChatGPT, with other AI tools, because we have 11,000 tools today. It's not only ChatGPT. You can use many different tools. It depends on your projects, goals, and many other things. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Eric Siegel. How are you?
0: Great. Anatoly, thanks so much for having me.
1: Oh, big pleasure. Big pleasure. I want to learn more about AI and I play a lot with this tool. I speak with ChatGPT more often than with my wife. And I know your (laughs) wife is Ukrainian, probably you can do it as well. So I I love my wife. Uh, Don't make me wrong. But I love uh, ChatGPT as well to ask, to test, to uh, analyze different formats. And I found one interesting thing you need. understand the topic you need to know how to write if you know how to write if you know the topic you can get great results if you think that tool will decide all your problems it's a big mistake you need to understand how it works eric before you start just tell more about yourself experience background and anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you
0: sure um i've been so by the way i actually love my wife a lot more than chat GPT, although it's definitely cool. Um, I've been in the field of machine learning for more than 30 years. I've been an independent consultant for 20. And at Columbia University, I was a professor where I taught the graduate courses in AI and machine learning. Now, machine learning is a concrete technology that um, has incredible value learning from data to predict improves all the large scale operations of organizations in general or has the potential to. Um, whereas AI is a bit of an amorphous term that can be used to mean a lot of different things. And the thing that we see in the press these days, the most is about large language models and other kinds of generative AI like chat GPT, um, which is amazing, but it's sort of a whole nother thing that the world's just starting to figure out how to understand its limitations, despite it seeming so human-like in a certain way. while the established use cases, and this is where I'd like to kind of pivot from the main focus we see in the press today, is predictive applications rather than generative. So generative means it's generating new content, writing images, a lot of value there, as so long as you consider it just a first draft. There always needs to be that human in the loop that evaluates whether it, it, it's sufficient, how much it needs to be edited, and whether it's correct. That's one of the other things I like about my wife better than ChatGPT is, She doesn't lie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think uh, ChatGPT
1: can lie, but if you know the topic, you can understand if it's lie or not, if it's accurate, wrong data. And for example, when my brothers asked me to help to create, generate content about accounting niches, I failed. I couldn't do it because I'm not the best expert in accounting and far away from that and uh, but I can do with marketing with other niches and um, I think if you know the topic you can check uh, results and for example uh, we edit a lot on ChatGPT our press releases and we got mentions on CNN Bloomberg Business Insider basically we even save uh, plus three million dollars for one project you know uh, because we started to write press releases themselves uh, before that we paid to pr agencies six thousand dollars for one press release to write and distribute uh, and but we learn how it works and today we can edit uh content on ChatGPT. basically we write a bad copy then ask ChatGPT please edit if cnn can accept such press release it means quality you know you can't cheat CNN you don't it's, it's almost impossible Eric I want to ask um, where to start because I I still see when companies ignore this tool but want to jump and don't do it don't know how to do it right so can you tell where to find this uh, benchmark
0: um a benchmark for how to how best to make use of language models like chat GPT yes
1: yes and at any other tool so chat GPT or any other tool
0: any other large language model. So, I'm 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 actually I feel that like my role in the industry is to is to throw caution. I'd think that these tools are potentially extremely valuable and extremely useful, but I think there's a really big gap between how they're portrayed in media and the expectations, at least how where they're headed in the near term, compared to the reality. Um, they are seemingly human-like, and if you do consider them just a first draft and you are knowledgeable enough to know whether it's correct or that you do the proper research. Having something right at first draft is extremely valuable, but there's a big difference between that and the general narrative that we're headed towards AGI, Artificial General Intelligence, which is a very easy um, misunderstanding to, to have about the situation because these language models are so incredibly seemingly human-like in a way that is astounding. And actually, has, having spent six years in um, a natural language processing research group at Columbia University before I was uh, a professor there, um, I never thought I'd see what these things can do in my lifetime. So I'm very excited and amazed by them. But I feel that the world is a little bit too amazed. The fact that they're so seemingly human-like doesn't mean that they're approaching or even taking steps towards general human level reasoning and capabilities in general, that they'd be able to take on roles, jobs, tasks at a human level in a fully autonomous way. Whereas my pivot would be, hey, look, one antidote to all the woes and potentially misleading expectations, again, not to cut down the value, but to try to bridge the gap between actual value and that portrayed or misunderstood in in the media. Um, An antidote to that is to not forget that potentially your greatest wins would be from predictive applications, predictive AI, predictive analytics, whatever you want to call it. You're using machine learning as generative AI does, but in order to target decisions, run all your large scale operations such as who to market to, which transactions to audit for fraud, who to approve for a credit application which ad to display, which satellite to investigate is potentially running out of battery, where to drill for a potential oil, et cetera, et cetera. All large scale d- operations are made of decisions. Business is a numbers game. And the way to play that numbers game more effectively, tip the odds in your favor, are the established use cases of machine learning known as predictive use cases. At least we should call it that now to differentiate it from generative. I've been in the field for 30 years, so naturally, the more long term established area, it's older, but it's not old school, there's still a great deal of untapped value in that area. um, Because this is where you stand to improve. All the existing large-scale operations of an organization, and it, it's the it's the topic of my new book, the AI Playbook, which presents a, a framework for making sure that these projects successfully launch and actually deliver value. It's also the topic of a Harvard Business Review article that just came out this morning. It's uh, the article is called uh, "Getting Machine Learning Projects from Idea to Execution." You can find that at Harvard Business Review. That's adapted from the book, so you can get a good dose right now of the book's content um, immediately right there on Harvard Business Review. Wow, wow. I love it, love it. Eric,
1: can you tell more about your book? And um, You know, uh, I love reading books. It's my the best format ever. I, I like other formats, but books bring more value, uh, knowledge uh, from my experience. But what I found if I take any book from, let's imagine, Jack London, I can read this book and forget about anything else. I can forget about meal, food, water, anything. I can live on this book. I can forget about sleep uh, because uh, he's great uh, to share these stories, uh, adventures. But about business books, I can't get the same experience. Uh, It's and many business books uh, that bring value. uh, I don't want to deny it, but it's boring to read, you know. When oh you yeah.
0: Read. yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you, you know. No, no. You, I'm not. I'm not one of those uh, people who churn out a book every year. I do a book every 11 years. And this is my second book. First book was a bestseller called Predictive Analytics, which is basically uh, a. Um, synonym for machine learning for enterprise projects and ma- using machine learning. Um, it was a bestseller has been adopted at hundreds of universities, but it doesn't read like a textbook. And my new book's the mm-hmm. same. It's anecdotally driven. with some riveting wow. dramatic case studies from UPS, FICO, and some of my own stories, both for failures and successes with some prominent dot coms. Um, and that's the thing is this stuff shouldn't be boring. And And one of the main themes of the book is that if you're not a data scientist and you're not a quant, you're not a technical expert in machine learning, but you wanna be involved, you wanna make sure that your company is actually getting value, you need to ramp up on some semi-technical understanding, but it's super interesting, right? I drive a car every day. I don't need to look under the hood, but I know the general concept of internal combustion and i know i'm an expert in driving a car i know how the steering wheel works and momentum and friction the rules of the road And you need to learn the same level of material it's like auto mechanic school or sorry it's like driver's ed not auto mechanic school it applies to everybody and basically what you need to learn to get um to be involved and and provide critical support to the quants from the from the business perspective is simply what's predicted how well and what's done about it. So for example, which customers are going to cancel their subscription and then, well, okay, let's target a retention offer. Some, let's say a discount uh, intended to incentivize them to stick around focused on those predicted most likely to cancel. How well does it predict? You got to put some numbers on it. Some, some of the right metrics. It's arithmetic, but it's very particular arithmetic. And it pertains to how does the business actually going to draw value when you get this stuff actually deployed. So what I'm working hard here at is bridging what right now is this unnecessary but very costly divide between the business side and the technical side. And one important part of that is to have that semi-technical understanding as a pervasive, rudimentary amount of information. It's, you know, it's much simpler than high school algebra, but a heck of a lot more interesting, accessible, um, and, and, and totally relevant, pertinent to what it means for large organ- or. Sorry, for any size organization, if it's a large enough process that it's conducting to use science to improve operations, all the large main things we do as organizations across industry sectors. So, you know, the the other thing we all need to get on the same page is what's the process? I don't mean the technical process. I mean, the business process. I'm presenting a concept called BizML. It's the framework. It's the titular playbook of my new book, the AI playbook, and it's a six-step process that culminates with deployment, but the first step is to define what that deployment should be so that you're very f- business focused across the whole project, not just considering this a number crunching project or a, a modeling, a statistical modeling pro- project, you know, a data science project, but a business project that uses those quantitative tools and capabilities to an end of actually improving organizational processes. Wow. Wow. I'm
1: going to read your book. You know, you convinced me. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I think you can, you can convince my audience as well. Guys, you can find the link to this book uh, and you convinced me because you mentioned that you uh, share your uh, failures and successes. <laughs> I think you can't yeah. get results without failing. And for example, okay. I mentioned about PR uh, when we decided to save money with PR and uh, to improve even results. So, um, I couldn't get results for three months without anything. I wrote a bunch of press releases. I pitched all of them. I got zero mentions, zero results, nothing. But Mm -hmm. then miracle happened. Uh, It's not like we got this miracle uh, after three months. Um, I think uh, the first great results uh, came after nine months, you know, (laughs) of having Mm -hmm. this process Mm -hmm. of cooperating with great writers uh, for Forbes, Investopedia, Bloomberg. So, yeah, and uh, it works. If you search, if you fail, if you are willing to fail, but want to succeed in the end. Uh, Eric, you mentioned many times about prediction. Um, I lost my track how many times you pronounce this word. Predictive, prediction. uh, Can you tell more about that? I mean, like um, I use AI to predict uh, trading prices because we help on these niches a lot. And um, I can't say uh, it's accurate. And uh, it depends. Uh, and, uh, but it's important to, uh, predict at anyway, we need to do it. Even if it's not accurate, we need to predict. Can you tell how AI can
0: uh, predict the most accurate results? Well, ultimately that's what machine learning In machine. When people say AI, they can mean a lot of different things, but one way or the they almost always are referring to at least some way of using some application of machine learning. Machine learning is a very concrete, well-defined area where you're learning from data to predict, and that's what machine learning does. It predicts. In the case of generative, it's predicting what should the next word technically token, but at that level of detail, what should the next word be as I'm writing, given what I've written so far? When I say I in this case, I mean the computer, right? So it keeps adding the next word, or how should I change this pixel in a high-resolution image that I'm rendering as a generative AI solution? in the case of these enterprise applications, it's often at the human level, who's gonna click, buy, lie, or die, like in the title of my first book, who's gonna commit an act of fraud, turn out to be a bad credit risk, etc.? cetera. Um, uh, the outcome of behavior pertaining to individuals, not always human, could be corporate clients, as I mentioned, satellite drilling site, uh, item rolling off the assembly line that may be in need of investigation or uh, for for failure uh, if, if it has, has a problem in manufacturing applications um so prediction is the holy grail for driving large scale operations right that's what we want now we don't have a crystal ball we don't have clairvoyance as humans humans and we can't expect computers to have it either but what what you can do is predict better than guessing and typically better than than humans it's the best of science to do that it's data driven prediction that's what you get That's the functional purpose of machine learning. We use the word predict a little more broadly in the industry. We're saying it also applies to things that uh, are sort of uh, you're, you're putting a category. Is this transaction fraudulent? You're predicting whether it's fraudulent. Does this healthcare patient have this disease? You're predicting whether they have the disease. So not actually predicting the future, but it's the same concept. You're ascertaining an unknown. But since we don't have a magic crystal ball, what we do is produce probabilities, and a probability is a number between zero and a hundred, or between zero and one, same thing. That's saying how how likely it is to have this certain outcome or behavior. So be, at least we're, in a sense, uh, quantifying the confidence that this is what's going to happen on a case per case basis, and those predictions directly inform which individual to market to, to investigate for fraud to to incarcerate set up on a date or medicate right any and all large scale operations very much it's been deployed and that's why it's the thing that you get from machine learning is called a predictive model it's the thing learned from data and it's the thing that now can produce these predictions another area is what you mentioned black box trading like are is this stock going to go up or down should i buy or hold um or sell right to drive decision in all cases you're trying to make these predictions to drive decisions and yeah technically really it's just probabilities we don't brand the field and i say this wasn't my choice but i think the industry's got a natural tendency not to call this statistics or probabilities because those have traditionally been applied in more arcane ways and they are not taught in a very interesting way they feel really boring but this is anything but boring this is how you pierce the veil between now and the future Putting odds on the future is the ultimate uh, value proposition for driving all large-scale operations. So you can frame all of it in terms of prediction. That's why we call it predictive AI to differentiate from generative AI. That's why it's also been called predictive analytics. That's why it's called a predictive model. So it produces these predictions, and they and that they, they drive uh, organizational decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh... I want to ask about uh, organizational decisions. Uh, After getting this data, you mentioned about uh, fraud, that AI can predict the number of fraud. By by the way, I have my crystal ball, but it's not working. I tried a few times (laughs) with crypto. Uh, When I felt that crypto will go up, it went down. (laughs) So, But anyway, I don't put... All eggs in one basket. And I'm interested about, okay, if you get this data, it's uh, let's imagine that data will show that probable, probably we get high fraud, I don't know, uh, or any uh, something like this. Uh, what kind of activities you can do to get this data? I mean, like you cooperate with security teams uh, who can help to, uh, I don't know, to fill this gap or any tips about that.
0: Well, the availability of data is key. Right. Mm-hmm. The value proposition, is, you know, for any of these enterprise projects that are predictive is that you need to have the right data from which to learn and then a use case. So mm-hmm. is this more, more likely than average to be fraudulent? Maybe we should hold or audit this transaction. Is this customer likely to buy let's spend $2 sending them a brochure for targeting direct marketing? Um, so you you've kind of that's what defines the use case is what's predicted and what's done about it then you have to have enough example uh, data points often from historical data where, you know, history has spoken, you know, who did or didn't cancel, who did or didn't commit fraud, which transactions turned out to be fraud, who did or didn't respond and purchase, click on an ad, click buy, lie, or die, all the outcomes. You have that historical information from which to learn, in which case you don't need any extra large scale manual effort, labeling the data in the more, uh, uh, in other applications, you know you have to label and say, hey this is a picture that does have a traffic light and this one does not if you're trying to d- detect traffic lights. for example, this radiology image does convey a certain medical do- diagnosis this, this one does not. In that case the data is more expensive. But either way um, it turns out that you typically have for an existing operation that you know, large scale and therefore it really stands to benefit, by optimizing by way of these predictions. Mm-hmm. The, the great news is it's it's a self-evident fact. That also means you probably have a good amount of data from which to learn historical cases, both positive and negative, just as a matter of conducting business, the logs, the the um the, the uh interactions, all, all the transactions, they've been logged, they've been recorded. That's why everyone was so excited about big data. We used to call it that, right? The big there was the excitement about it because data is an encoding of experience. It's a collection of things that's happened from which it's possible to learn how to predict. And predict is the most actionable thing you can get out of analytics.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, how you collect this data to feed AI with this data? I mean, like, do you use own data or uh, use uh, third party
0: data from online studies tools? Any tips about that? I mean, you start with your own internal data. Typically, typically mm-hmm. the the value proposition. Now, there's plenty of exceptions where there's sort of uh, one size fits all models, like the FICO score. And in fact, fraud detection also offered by FICO. All the banks uh, controlling two thirds of the world's credit cards and ninety percent in the U.S. and the U- and, and and Europe uh, are for every single transaction using this one leading fraud detection model from FICO. Uh, to screen in real time, whether to authorize the credit card or or other kind of payment card transaction. Um, But in general, for most projects, you're making your own internal homegrown model over your own internal data. And in that way, you're creating a model that's very much specialized, customized. And to your particular list of, of prospects or existing customers and the behavior that you're observing and how things are working out for your business. So it's very much specialized. Now you can augment that data with third-party external data. Often you start without even doing that. That's an additional expense and more complexity. It turns out that data is predictive. It's very predictive because it's an encoding of links, right? People have, who have these certain demographics and these certain behavioral historical attributes are going to tend, you know, people who buy a, a lot of this are also going to buy a lot of that. All of these kinds of correlations come through. Those are the building blocks of a predictive model. It makes the discoveries based on the history and is optimizing that. The model itself ends up being... um can be kind of opaque or transparent depending on how complex it is but the concepts of it aren't really beyond uh most people's grasp it can be a business rule a pattern sometimes a mathematical formula but one way or another it's encapsulated or discovered trends or patterns from history that turn out to pan out in the future over unseen cases so in that sense it's truly learned something that applies in general and that's where you've got success where you've got a viable model so long as you put it into operation and start acting on it um so yeah so did I did I answer your question yeah yeah
1: you answer uh, and you know about security i think it's a must have even if if ai can show low possible fraud scam uh i know how it's tough to uh, when someone can hack your website and i got this experience a few times yeah. we lost a lot of money a lot of resources yeah. and it's tough to recover and for me it's better to uh, prepare any project security measurement anything uh anti uh anti-malware uh, d- different tools and uh, for example if even I don't understand, I mean, like, uh, why we need to predict the fraud Uh, possibility if security or almost all big companies have the security measurement, we have tools, we have teams who can support.
0: It sounds like your mic's out, but I'm going to keep talking for a minute while you work on your mic. Just interrupt me when you when you get that fixed. Yeah, yeah, um, fixed.
1: Uh, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, I ask. I mean, like, uh, for me, security is a must-have. And we need to uh, set up security, whatever uh, AI prediction will show. Uh, because uh, nobody knows. And if, if you have low security, uh, you can invite all these scammers, hackers, you know, to your project, you know, because uh, they search for uh, gaps, they search for weaknesses. And uh, yeah, so tell me about If
0: you yeah, put... Predict- well, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we can take, take a step back. Anybody can understand why you need to use math okay. to help with security. Because think of it this way. Yes, you can always have more... Uh, framework and, and infrastructure, you know, credit cards and payment cards have the chip on them. You could go have biometrics. You could force the person to put a fingerprint, et cetera, et cetera. You could always increase the authentication process to make fraud, fraud much more and more difficult. But as you do that, there's a couple issues. One is it becomes less convenient. And Mm -hmm. it turns out that a certain tolerance for fraud as, as, as tasteless as it is, as costly as it is, um, is sort of, can be better in terms of commerce because you're increasing convenience. But the other thing is that there's just never a sure thing. I mean, somebody can just physically steal your card. You wanna allow for online transactions where there's no biometrics or chip present, um, those kinds of things. You're gonna have situations where, uh, uh, you know, red hats, people who are, are malicious and are basically thieves are performing um, unauthorized transactions. We're not gonna get away from that. So the best defense is to use the best of math and all the complexities of what's who's the merchant, the vendor, the aspects of the card holder, the aspects of the transaction, all the different history and aspects of those to create as, as um, valuable and precise a model as possible. Now, not accurate. People throw around the word accurate and you mentioned earlier about I think you were I think it, you were talking about stock market prediction same thing you don't have accurate we don't have a magic crystal ball but we don't need it so it turns out that the word accuracy which literally means how often is it right right is impertinent it doesn't pertain and it's usually misleading so take fraud for example where the number of positive cases actual fraud compared to the number of negative cases benign good uh, authorized transactions is really really low maybe about 0.01 percent of transactions are fraudulent one out of a thousand so that's good it's good that it's such a small number but that also means if i have a predictive model that always says no it always authorizes every transaction always says no to the question is this fraudulent and it says no it's not fraudulent it'll never discover any fraud but it will be 99.9% accurate. So that's just a nice way of illustrating that accurate's not the right concept. What does matter are, well, first of all, what matters is, is the business win, because there's a cost associated with getting it wrong. If you say it's fraudulent and it's not, you've inconvenienced the cardholder, and that actually costs no. the bank, let's say $100 on average, because the cardholder, if they experience that too often, they're gonna start to use a different credit card and may stop using yours entirely. The other kind of error is where you say it's not fraudulent and you allow uh, what turns out to be a fraudulent transaction to go through. Then the criminal gets away with the bounty. Usually the bank has to eat that. That might cost on average $500 for that error. There's two very different kinds of errors. Those are called false positives and false negatives. If you add those up, that's your aggregate cost. And if your model does a good job at balancing them, you're going to lower your aggregate cost. So what I'm describing now is just arithmetic. It's not the data. It's not the rocket science part. It's how well the rocket science helps your business in terms of business terms. There's other metrics such as something called lift, which is basically a predictive multiplier. How many times better than guessing does this model predict? That's valuable. It still may not predict with super high confidence. Might say, hey, there's a 30% chance this is fraudulent. It's definitely not confident, but that's a lot more. Uh, than it would be for an average transaction when there's only 0.1% fraud. So it turns out that it's very valuable. If you look at Lyft, that gives you a sign that it's doing something better than guessing. If you turn it into business metrics like profit and savings, number of customers saved, whatever it is, then you have a really concrete sense of just how valuable uh, the predictive model could be.
1: Yeah. Well, explain. I got it. I got it. Eric, uh, I want to ask about mistakes. Um, uh, in my life, I made a lot of mistakes. I keep doing them. I don't know how to learn. If you start something from scratch, I mentioned about PR. Uh, I started a few projects and failed completely, uh, but that's okay. I can learn uh, how to go ahead. Uh, and I remember, for example, I started one project because of chasing money. Uh, we, uh, we found a market gap, also decided to fill this gap, uh, hired a big team, uh, a lot of people, invested a lot of money. Uh and at that time I hated Monday, loved Friday and got it, no, I can't go ahead like this. For me, it's better to get happiness to enjoy the process. So I, I I quit and for me, it's not a bad idea to give up if you hate it, you know, It's better to find something that you like. And you mentioned that in your book you can share some failures, success. Can you tell failures from your experience that companies uh, still do? uh in this uh, ai uh, deployment uh, measurement anything and uh how to find a much better way
0: yeah i mean the the biggest mistake is to not plan for the deployment and not fully pro- plan and socialize it with business stakeholders and in fact this is such a prevalent mistake mm-hmm. it's so common that most new machine learning projects fail to achieve deployment and therefore they don't make any value. So deployment is when you start actually acting on the predictions, when you integrate them, when you operationalize them, so that whatever the operation you're hoping to improve for targeting marketing or fraud detection or whatever it is, is now informed by and therefore performed better because it's informed by these probabilities, the predictions, the outputs of the predictive model that was generated from machine learning that's operationalization that's deployment that's step 6 of the six step practice that i call bizml um in the book and also is covered in today's harvard business review article um mm-hmm. the um so it's a lack of planning so te- typically yeah. it's there's the technology is good right the analytics are sound the model Uh, predicts better than guessing is potentially valuable, but doesn't get deployed. These failures, people have gotten very adept at sweeping the failures under the rug. I think the hype about AI kind of helps with that, but it's not sustainable. We need to get actual returns. We need to do more than just awesome number crunching. We need to actually get it deployed. So what most people don't realize, definitely outside of the data science expertise realm, is that to run a machine learning project successfully so that not only the number crunching is good but it actually deploys and delivers operational value requires a very specialized specific kind of business practice yes it requires specific technical tools and technical procedures but it also requires a business practice paradigm playbook strategy the ai playbook is the name of my new book i'm i'm evangelizing now on a buzzword that i uh, humbly, have coined myself BizML. I very I worked for weeks on just the right five letters, BizML. In fact, that's the domain for the website for my book, BizML.com. Yeah. So, but the business practice for running machine learning projects that starts by planning in reverse for that last step, um, and it, and in the the critical aspect of this process of the six steps is that it's deeply collaborative bringing together the data scientists and the business stakeholder, let's say the line of business manager, whoever's in charge of improving the operations that are meant to be improved by machine learning. So the data scientist isn't just doing number crunching alone in a cubicle, but that the work of their labor Gets deployed. This also brings data scientists a little bit out of their comfort zone to make this adjustment and improvement because they need to interface more with the business. It's got to be deeply collaborative. Everyone's it's getting everyone on the same page and everyone's got to speak the language from the get go by really getting in deep with what's predicted, how well the metrics, which is not accuracy, it might be lift or profit and then what's done about each prediction. And those three things, sussing those out, establishing the prediction goal, the deployment goal, and the metrics and their, and their uh, standards, those are the first three of six steps. It's like a pre-production stage to get everybody on the right page. And then the other three steps are what machine learning always entails, which is prepare the data, train the model over the data, and then deploy it that culminates with deployment you do need to continue to monitor afterwards moving forward but right now we're talking about let's get a process that at least gets models deployed where most of them today fail to get deployed
1: yeah awesome awesome love it love it eric uh, i have a bunch of questions but uh, i will ask two questions and uh, uh, i will not uh uh, ask others who are listening to this podcast you can reach out to eric uh, on uh, social media i will leave all links to website uh the book in the description below so basically you can reach out and ask if you have a lot more questions because i have these questions i'm going to follow eric to uh, read his book and then i can reply uh, to get replies to these questions and um, my final two questions about your experience what i found that we usually get great results with uh, companies that understand what we do. Basically, we help with marketing, content creation. But if I see that uh, lack of knowledge, I usually tell them take my course, learn on Google, YouTube, it it doesn't matter. Just learn, get the basic. If you understand the basic, uh, then you know why we need to create high quality content, why we need to use uh, white hat I see different insights uh, it works and also i have students in my network who are looking for way to learn from scratch uh, considering that we have ai today m- m- many other uh, technologies so i want to ask you if you start today without any skills knowledge experience it's your first day in this ai deployment you know that ai exists from terminator matrix (laughs) and other movies but you have no idea how it works so what will you do if you need to learn everything
0: from scratch well actually that's the very much the intention of both of my books and my online course so including the new book the ai playbook you know it goes over the six-step practice across six main chapters, but in so doing, at the same time, along the way, it's ramping up business readers on that semi-technical knowledge that they need. So in a sense, it does start from ground zero, from scratch. My other book, Predictive Analytics, which gets a little bit more under the hood in certain ways um, and is less about the business practice, is still just as business relevant about all the different use cases. 183-minute case studies in the central uh, table and such. Same deal. You they could read both in either order. And I do have an online course which covers the material in both books. If you've got a few months to take a long, big online course, it's a course series of three courses, actually, that you get from. Uh, and it's called Machine Learning Leadership and Practice End to End Mastery. That's at uh, machine learning.courses. And uh, my book's bizml.com.
1: Wow. Wow okay guys you can find a link to the course of the book in the description and my final question uh yeah we, we discussed about prediction and i want to ask your prediction about the future uh, technologies mm-hmm. are growing fast many things are coming apple is going to launch this uh headset i don't know augmented reality m- m- many things are going and we need to adapt we need to adapt because uh, i'm on the second stage i can't create chat GPT, but I can use chat GPT and other tools. So uh, your prediction about the future and how we can adapt to this possible future.
0: Wow. Well, I think learning, I think that people need to stop being afraid of of actually getting into the technology. Language models are so friendly because you literally don't need to know anything, right? You just, and if anybody out there has not tried one of them like chat GPT and you've never just actually tried typing a conversation with them, there's no reason not to. And that's sort of the whole point is it's communicating in what we call natural language to differentiate from computer languages, like, like C plus plus and Python. Um, it's just, It'll You can do whatever you want, and it'll respond accordingly. It may not respond. You'll get disappointed eventually because it doesn't have higher level human functioning nearly on the scale of what humans can do. But it's amazing, and it's very interesting and oftentimes very, very valuable. When it comes to predictive applications, if you're a business stakeholder and you're not planning to become a data scientist, you don't have to get hands-on with it. But you do have to learn, you know, how to drive a car in order to drive yourself and you need to learn how to drive a machine learning project if you're going to contribute to its successful deployment at a, a company and it needs you machine learning projects more than anything else need business side stakeholders to contribute collaborate deeply. After having ramped up on some semi-technical, fascinating, engaging information about how it works and how it delivers value, exactly how well it works, what are the right numbers, a real concrete sense of how the predictions actually integrate and make a change to operations. You got to get concrete. You can't just sort of say, hey, that's somebody else's job. It's your job if you're at the business and you care about how the business operates. So that's a culture change. It's a long time coming. Absolutely critical Get into some of the details. Don't be afraid of the technology and some of the details. Wow, nice. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. It's a
1: big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. I love this valuable bombs. Thanks for
0: sharing. Tell yeah, the best man. way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you,
1: how to follow you.
0: Sure. Yeah. So it was great having uh, having this opportunity to talk to your audience. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, again, my book is bizml, B-I-Z-M-L.com. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, Eric Siegel, uh, my my Twitter is PredictAnalytic, um, but all the information you can find on like my bio pages and such on the book's website at bizml.com. Nice. Guys, you can find all links uh, to
1: social media accounts, to the book in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Love it. So valuable. You know how to share value. I love to learn something new and I recommend to anyone to follow uh, Eric because you can see a lot of valuable insights. Okay, guys. Love you. See you. Thanks
0: for tuning in to Unmiss. Enjoyed the show? Drop us a review on your favorite platform and help us spread the digital marketing wisdom. See you next episode.